Legendary investor Jim Rogers has seen more market ups and downs than most people alive today. And he successfully made money, a lot of money in the process. But given today's macro environment, he's more concerned about the market's future prospects than he's ever been before. I would suspect that when it ends, we're going to have the worst bear market in my lifetime. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Adam Taggart, founder of Wealthion, welcoming you back for another week of making sense of money and the markets so that you can make better informed decisions about building your wealth. Week after week on this program, we seek to pierce the veil of mystery and uncertainty clouding our macroeconomic future. Well, if you want to know where we're likely headed, it's often best to seek the counsel of a veteran expert who's seen and studied it all which is why I'm thrilled to welcome legendary investor Jim Rogers to the program today. Jim's an author, financial commentator, and successful international investor. He's often featured in every known publication dealing with the economy or finance, and he's been a visiting professor at Columbia University. Now, after attending both Yale and Oxford as a young man, Jim co-founded the Quantum Fund, a global investment partnership. And during its next 10 years, the portfolio gained 4,200%, while the S&P rose less than 50%. Jim then decided to retire at age 37 and has been sharing his wisdom with investors ever since, as well as having some pretty amazing life adventures. He joins us now from Singapore, where he stayed up late to speak with us. Jim, thank you so much for returning to the program. Well, Adam, I'm delighted to be here. And the introduction was much too long. We could have been talking about much more important things. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry, we still will. Um, but as we jump off here, Jim, let me just ask the question I like to ask all our guests before introducing any potential biases. What is your current assessment of today's global economy and financial markets? You only have 30 minutes? <laughs> yeah, no, we'll just stick at the high level here. Well, Adam, as you know, uh, every, nearly every government, every central bank in the world has been printing huge amounts of money and borrowing and spending huge amounts of money. It's never happened like this in the history of the world. Never in recorded history have we seen so much excess. I'll call it excess. They, they think it's normal. They think it's fine. Uh, and this has caused many markets to go up a lot. You know, if you want to build a bridge, it takes a long time. But if you want to invest and you have a lot of money floating around, you just go on the internet and in five seconds, you can, be in, you can invest in anything you want to. And that's what's been happening and that's what's continuing to happen. It, there might be signs that's beginning to slow down. The Chinese seem to be cutting back some, not a lot. Well, not a lot, but they're cutting back. They're not expanding. Other countries say they're cutting back. Uh, so, and the U.S. says, oh, maybe we should cut back some, someday. Uh, but in the meantime, there's gigantic amounts of money floating around. It's going into markets. It's going into the real economy as well. Uh, it's artificial. If you see some of the things that, you know, the shipping business is just unbelievably hot right now because there's so much money floating around. The, the bad news is these things always end and the better they get, the worse they get when they end. And as I said, we've never seen anything like this in recorded history. So 
be worried. I'm not short, I haven't sold short anything, but uh, I am certainly worried. All right. Um, wait, wait, let me just add, let me just add sure. more than you asked for. As I look around the world, bonds are clearly in a bubble. Bonds have never been this expensive in the history of the world, not in recorded history anyway. Property in many places, you go to Korea, you go to New Zealand, you go many places, property is certainly in a bubble. Stocks, many stocks. I mean, Amazon goes up every day. Tencent goes up every day. Samsung goes up every day. So some stocks performing a bubble, but many stocks are still not up. So it's not a complete bubble yet. So there you have stocks, property, bonds, all in bubbles or forming bubbles. The only thing that's still cheap, uh, commodities, silver's down 60% from its all-time high, sugar's down 70% from its all-time high, oil is down 50%. I mean, these are not bubble numbers when you talk about big, big uh, declines, historic decline. Uh, but with all the money being printed, the, the asset class in the world that I prefer at the moment would be commodities because they're cheap when everything else is booming. I do own stocks. I do own stocks in places like China, Russia, Japan, other places, uh, but I'm not rushing out to buy unless I find something really good. All right, great answer, Jim. And I wanna actually revisit some of the points you made there later on here in the discussion, but just staying at the high level for a moment. Um, last time you and I talked was um, kind of mid, really probably about a year ago, sort of fall of 2020. And uh, you were very concerned about these big macro trends back then, particularly all the intervention by the central banks and whatnot. So here we are a year later and trillions and trillions more, uh, both of monetary and fiscal stimulus around the world. So uh, I guess first off, how much more worried are you now than you were uh, even just a year ago when we talked? Um, you know, I think, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we probably would not have believed how much monetary and fiscal stimulus would be unleashed in the world in the next year and a half. Um, so uh, again, you were quite worried back then. How much more worried are you now? Well, let me, let me respond partially by saying, what comes after trillions? What are they <laughs> going to do next? How much? <laughs> they've already gotten into trillions, which you and I never could have conceived of. Most people could not have conceived of, but they don't want to stop. So I'm wondering what's after trillions? Are we going to learn new languages, new vocabulary here in the next year or two if they keep going the way they're going? Well, I, I said, I'm not short. Uh, I know it's going to end badly. I still, if something comes good, comes along that's good, I'll buy it. Uh, but Adam, I know this is going to end very, very, very badly. To repeat, the better it gets, the worse it's going to get when it comes to an end. I would suspect that when it ends, we're going to have the worst bear market in my lifetime. In 2008, we had a big bear market problem because of too much debt. Adam, since 2000 debt, in 2008, the debt everywhere skyrocketed, unbelievable. Even China has debt now. China didn't have debt 20 years ago, 15 years ago, but even China has a lot of debt now. Who's gonna save us? The Chinese saved us in 2009 because they started, had a lot of money saved for a rainy day and they started spending it. They don't have a lot of money to spend now. 
Who's going to save us? North Korea? <laughs> North Korea doesn't have much debt. That's why I say. But I don't think they have enough to enough to save us because I don't think they have money saved for a rainy day like the Chinese. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, look, um, two things. One, uh, to answer your question, I know it was mostly rhetorical, but a quadrillion comes after a trillion. And uh, golly, Jim, I, I hope we don't see a quadrillion of anything in our lifetime. But but at this rate, it, you're probably right. Uh, probably see what it sooner it? rather than later. A quadrillion. quadrillion. <laughs> well, see, I'm learning vocabulary as I say. There you go. Um, uh, so uh, to your point about the debts, because you have mentioned this before many times over the years, um, when you get to this level of extremis, um, where you have this much debt sloshing around the world and really no end to its creation in sight, um, the options become increasingly binary. You're going to have a massive debt default um, or you're going to destroy the currency by just, you know, printing it to infinity to try to service the debt. Um, and, and I want to zero in on a comment you just said, where you're worried that we're going to see uh, one of the biggest market bear markets of our lifetime. And a lot of people who are watching right now, they really feel stuck between a rock and a hard place. They, they feel like they have confidence that the central planners are going to keep printing uh, and really destroy the currencies over time. And they'd like to position for that kind of you know, runaway inflation, but they're worried that along the way, there is going to be a big deflationary impulse like a big bear market, and they don't want to position for the long run, but get killed along the way. Um, so I guess my question is, is do you, do you have greater confidence one way or the other, if this is going to end in a, a debt crisis or runaway money printing or, or, or maybe both? Uh, how do you see it? Well, first of all, I have no confidence in them. You said they, the other people you were talking about have confidence that they are going to save, are going to save us. I have no confidence in they, whoever they are. I will say, Adam, it's a good time to be old in America because I don't have to pay for all of this when it comes to an end 10 years. When, when, when the, the bill comes to yeah. My children, oh my gosh, the problems my children are going to run into in their lifetimes because of what these girl clowns are doing now. So I say, it's good to be old. Um, but you're right, it's going to end someday and it's going to end badly when it, when it ends. Uh, you, you said either currency collapse or economic collapse. You can have both, you know, you can have one and then it leads to another. Uh, in the thirties, we had both, for instance, around the world. Uh, and then we had war, a shooting war. And that's the bad, the really bad news is Often in history, when you have really, really bad times, especially worldwide, it winds up in shooting wars. It certainly did after the 30s. Um, so it, I, I, it's, not, it's not good news. I don't see good news. I repeat that in 2008 and nine, we had horrible problems with too much debt. Since then, the debt has gone through the roof by unbelievable amounts. And I know that's going to end badly. I don't want to be scare people or anything else. I own shares. I'm not short anything as we sit here right now. Uh, and I, if you know something for me to sell short, I doubt if I would, because I'm, I'm just, I know how much money they can print. But I do know it's going to come to an end and all of us should, should probably watch uh, Wealthy on 
to get prepared or to get worried. If we watch, if we know what's going on, we'll get worried. And if we get worried, we'll probably get prepared and then we might survive. Some people came out of the 30s very rich. Most didn't, most lost huge amounts of money. But I hope that I survive, I hope you survive, and I hope all of your, your viewers survive. Well, thank you, and, and thank you for the generous mention there. Uh, but that is exactly why people are watching these videos, is they're trying to get enough nuggets of insight, particularly from people like you, who are both scholars of history, um, but also have seen a lot of market ups and downs and been successful investors, to try to figure out ways in which they can take proactive action today to hopefully not be roadkill uh, to what happens in the future. Um, so you mentioned, Jim, that you are not short right now. And it's, if I get you right correctly, it's because um, you, uh, you don't want to underestimate the ability of the money printers to print more money. Um, and I, I, I think that actually is a very sound uh, position to take. Um, but are there any potential indicators that you're watching that you know, will give you a sense of when it's time to start battening down the hatches and at least get less less long, if not go short. These things always start where we're not looking. Uh, in 2007, Iceland went bankrupt. But people said, what, who's Iceland? If they noticed, <laughs> nobody cared. And a few months later, Ireland went bankrupt. Some noticed. A few months later, Bear Stearns went bad. Ah, now we're starting to notice. And then BlackRock went, went bankrupt in the big bank in England. And then eventually, Lehman Brothers went, but well, then it's on the evening news. Then everybody knows. So my point is these things snowball and they start where we're not looking. And it may have already started for all I know. I've seen some small places having problems. Um, but as I say, I'm not selling short yet. Um, because I, I know how much money these guys can print. Uh, and what I would suspect is going to happen, Adam, is somewhere along the line, next month, uh, October, it's a good month, October, stocks go down in lots of places. Well, then they're going to really panic because they want to keep their jobs. And so they're going to print even more money. And so <laughs> we'll have a rally. We'll have a rally. But I would suspect that that would be the last rally. Because uh, there's only so much. I mean, eventually the market says, wait a minute, guys, we've seen this movie before. We know how it ends. We don't care what, how much money you print. Um, so that in that kind of scenario, we go down in October, and this is, this is not a projection, but, but it's not a prediction. This is just a scenario. Go down in October, they print a lot, have the big year-end rally, and then 2002. Uh, 2022 is a serious problem. Probably okay. the beginning of a serious problem because, as I said, the next bear market is going to be the worst in my lifetime because of all this staggering amount of debt. Okay. So uh, just recapping, you are kind of watching the periphery because that's where you think we'll see the, the weakness begin first and it'll be, collapse will happen towards the center as it does. Um, question for you. So a lot of the experts that we've had on in recent past, you know, they, they, they all see the world a little bit differently. But if I had to kind of combine them together into a consensus, um, I think like you, people feel that um, there may be, you know, some last gasp here. Um, some think a melt up, whatnot, but, but a more continuation of the status quo, followed by a correction. Um, when we have the, 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 terrible bear market that you're expecting. Um, 
I would say that that many of the people that I've recently interviewed here feel like in response to that, then you're going to see just crazy policy response that's going to make the money printing that we've seen to date look like child's play. Do you see a similar scenario or do you see a really protracted recession slash depression like we suffered through in the, you know, in the, the 30s that, that literally took years and years and years to get through? Well, I, I do expect uh, another gasp, uh, you know, when the, when the bureaucrats and the central bankers see problems, they're going to do everything they can to save their jobs. So they're going to print even more money, as you point out. They may buy stocks. You know, in Japan, the Bank of Japan buys ETFs. I own Japanese ETFs. He's got more money than I do. If he's going to buy Japanese ETFs, I want to own some too. You may as well write it. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's a good bureaucrat. He goes to work early every morning, prints as much money as he can, in his words, unlimited, unlimited amounts. Well, if he's got unlimited amounts of money, I want to own some as well. But so I, my, my point is that I would suspect that most of these guys will do their best to get things up again. We will have, then we'll have that last rally. Now, I'm a horrible market timer, Adam, so you shouldn't rely on me at all, but that's the way I anticipate what's going to happen. Uh, we will have a maybe even a blow off. You know, many markets, I've seen markets end in blow offs. It just gets so crazy that if you remember 1999, 2000, probably, it ended in a blow off. Uh, I've seen them before, Kuwait 20, uh, 30 years ago, etc. Japan in the late 90s, uh, late 80s, huge blow off. Uh, I mean, it's just staggering how much the Japanese market, you know, the Japanese market is down today, 30, over 30% from where it was in 1990. That's 31 years ago. I mean, 31 years later, much, and it's still down 30%. Yeah, crazy. It's, it's over 30 years and it's still, so that just shows you what kind of huge blow off they had. And also how many problems Japan has, but that's another, another conversation. Um, so that's my how I anticipate things happening in the future. But Adam, if it were that easy, we'd all be rich. You know, I just sit here <laughs> yeah. and say, this is what's going to happen, Wealthy on. And it, and it, but unfortunately, the world doesn't just sit and listen to me. The world has its <laughs> own, wants to make its own mistakes. Well, we, we wish, wish that it did. Um, uh, all right. So, um, well, I've got so many questions to ask you, but beforehand, I, I do want to stay at the high level here just for a second. So, uh, you know, looking at what's happening in response to the current uh, money printing and, and fiscal stimulus and, and all that that's, you know, washing through the world, is we're seeing that uh, the bottom 90% um, is getting squeezed. Right, where the vast majority of the financial assets are owned by the top 10%, and those are shooting the moon, right? But the bottom 90% isn't participating much in that at all because they don't own those assets. Um, and of course, we're now seeing lots of inflation, particularly in the, the inputs to cost of living. Um, and so, and wages are not growing nearly at the same rate. And so, we're seeing the bottom 90% get increasingly squeezed. So, my question for you, Jim, is, is there a potential, potentially before we have sort of a financial reckoning that we could have a social breakage here 
where, uh, you know, I, I, of course, we look kind of through a US centric uh, lens here at Wealthion because most of our audience is, is based in America, but, um, you know, the world's a big place and the world is experiencing the same squeezing in many countries, much worse than what we're having here in America. Do you worry at all about the societal implications about what's going on here? Absolutely. It's very insightful of you. Uh, History is pretty clear that when you have bad times, there is usually social unrest. People aren't happy. Uh, and if we do, in fact, have the worst bear market of my lifetime, which I don't see how we can avoid, uh, if and when that comes, there are going to be a lot of very, very unhappy and angry people. And one difference in now in the past is people really get angry now. They think that you can't do that to me. Um, you know, in, this, in the 30s, people were a little more disciplined, a little more understanding of what was going on in the world. They weren't happy. There were protests. There were there was some violence, not much violence in the U.S. anyway, sometimes what we're talking about. But people were a bit more accepting of the system. <laughs> no, Adam, look out the window. Nobody accepts anything now. You can't do that to me. It's your fault. It's not my fault. So, no, we're certainly going to have social unrest, certainly in the U.S., but in other countries as well. I mean, I, I will let me repeat, you should watch Wealthy on. You, you find out what's going on. If you do, you'll get worried and then you'll get prepared. But Adam, it's very clear. This history shows that when things go really wrong, history shows, first of all, politicians blame foreigners. They always blame the foreigners because that's easy to do. But then they, it also leads to unhappy people and social unrest. I mean, one of the, I guess the main lesson of history, Adam, is people don't learn the lessons of history. I mean, I could sit here and tell you all day. I mean, we had a president recently who either didn't know history or thought he was smarter than history and it didn't matter. Well, I know history smarter than I am and I know it matters and I know it always goes that way that people get very unhappy and they look for scapegoats and then it's not good. So no, well, it's gonna be very bad, it's gonna be very bad. You said this earlier too, You know, right this moment we're talking about sort of civil unrest inside of a country, but you also mentioned when times get bad, uh, resources get tight, et cetera. That's when nations begin to compete with each other more as well. So I assume you know you're you're kind of worried dually, right? For both what may happen inside countries, but also as as countries might become increasingly more competitive slash even hostile with each other. You call it competitive. I said that what the politicians do is they blame the farmers. They're not going to say, Adam, oh. All of you are good Americans, don't worry, you're good people. It, our problems come from those foreigners, you know, those evil foreigners. I mean, Trump was blaming the Germans, blaming the Canadians, blaming everything, the Chinese, of course, but he was blaming the Koreans, the Japanese, everybody in sight. Uh, and that's what, that's what always happens. And there's gonna be more of that. And then that makes the problems worse because then when you start having trade wars or, or restrictions, then that just makes the problems worse. And then that eventually, and sometimes has led to shooting wars, not always, but sometimes. 
Okay, well, I, I want to use this to segue to to talking about China um, for a couple different topics, but but maybe pulling this thread first. Um, tensions between China and the U.S. have been growing over the the recent years, both in the Trump administration, but also here in the Biden administration as well. And uh, something that's just very recently, I think, making headlines is the tensions between China and the US over semiconductors. And I'm not sure how much you know about this, Jim, but you know, there's a huge semiconductor shortage right now. And uh, the powerhouse for manufacturing them is Taiwan. Um, and I think there's increasing you know, concern that, that China may, maybe even someday militarily intervene in Taiwan partially to be able to kind of lock up supply to semiconductors because that's an essential component. China apparently spends more on semiconductors than oil, I just read. Um, so um, you famously, you live in Singapore, you, you moved your family to Asia a number of years ago. Um, you have a much closer view than I think the rest of us here, at least back in the States. Um, what, what, I guess, what, which, what's your reaction to that? Is something that, that you are, um, I'm sure, watching, but are, are you worried about it, or do you think it's more of a tempest in a teacup? Adam, I have to worry about it. We all have to worry about it. As I've been telling you before, that history shows things deteriorate, and, they, and I can see it, it with before my eyes. I happen to live in Singapore, which if there is a war, Singapore, the port in Singapore will be, it already is the largest port in the world. It'll be the most important port in the world because everybody needs it. Get out a map and you will see that everybody, whoever's in the war is going to need the port in Singapore. So I have to worry about it. I have to worry about it a lot. Uh, my view, and it's, it's meaningless, is that the Chinese can wait. Uh, if it's a Singapore, I mean, the uh, semiconductor issue, uh, I, my view is, but listen, I'm, I'm not in Beijing and, you know, politicians can do crazy things that they can, they're cranking out thousands of engineers every year. And some of them are very good engineers. Look at Tencent, look at Alibaba, look at, you know, some of these companies that are really, really good based on Chinese engineering and they're cranking up. They know the problem as well as I do. So my view, it's not going to be a semi, it may be a war, but I don't think it's going to be semiconductors, uh, but, who, but who knows, you know, the Koreans are cranking up their semiconductors, Singapore is cranking up semiconductor production as fast as they can. Everybody sees what you and I see, um, but that does not mean there won't be a war. Um, it would be certainly not good for the U.S. I don't see how we do anything much in that war uh, except get embarrassed. You saw what happened in the recent Afghanistan. In, yeah. in Afghanistan. Uh, well, this would be a much, much more dire situation because the Chinese have a lot of money and a lot of soldiers and a lot of uh, guns, a lot of bullets, a lot of boats. They have more boats in the American than we do in America now. More, the Navy is bigger than, than our Navy. I don't know if it's as good as our Navy, but I know they, got a, they have built a huge Navy. So it would not be good for anybody if it happens, but no war is good for anybody. But will it happen? I, I repeat to you, it's good to be old. You know, I'm, I'm, not gonna be, I'm not gonna be drafted and I might even be dead when the war comes, uh, depending on when it comes. Let's hope it's, 20 years from now or something, but who knows? 
All right, um, sobering. Um, okay, so uh, with China, you know, uh, there are a lot of people that think China is going to be the power, the you know, the, the global powerhouse, uh, you know, of the next century, and, and that may or may not be true. Again, would sort of love your thoughts on that. But but along with that, China does have its own challenges, and uh, it's got mounting debt, as you talked about. Um, it's certainly got some demographic challenges. Um, and uh, right now it's having some big issues. Um, I'm talking specifically about uh, Evergrande, which is a massive property company there that, that just this week is really seems to be you know, falling into surprise bankruptcy. Uh, some people are calling that a Lehman moment for China. Um, so my question to you, uh, Jim, is, uh, you know, what, what do you think is sort of China's true health right now? And, uh, you know, again, I think you famously moved there uh, to Asia, you, you taught your daughter's Mandarin. Um, do, do you think that China is going to come out of, we have this global bear market, the worst in history, will China come out of it at the end better off than the US and most other countries? Or, or do they have just as many problems as the rest of them? Well, they certainly have problems. There's no question about that. They have debt. Uh, you mentioned the, the bankruptcy, which is going on now, but there have been two or three others here in the last few weeks, a uh, few months. Uh, and interestingly enough, China has said, we will let people go bankrupt. If you foul up, we're not going to bail you out. These are communists, you know, they're acting like good capitalists. They're acting uh, like better capitalists than the rest of the capitalists. I know, I mean, you know, we don't let people go bankrupt in America or London or Germany, we bail you out. Well, the Chinese have said, we're not gonna bail you out. And so far they've lived up to that. I mean, they're letting these guys go through the ringer and I, I hope they do. I, it'll be good for China, it'll be good for the world if they do it. Uh, and so maybe that's, I, we were talking before about the early signs. Maybe these are the early signs because China is the second largest economy in the world. And if they start having more and more problems, it will certainly be a snowball effect. Now, your question is who's gonna, let's say we do have the worst economic times in my lifetime, who's gonna come out the other side? Well, you know, in the last time it happened, the U.S. came out the other side as the number one country in the world, the richest country in the world. A uh, hundred years ago, Britain was the richest, most powerful country in the world. There was no number two. But then they kept spending. I mean, they did unbelievable things. We look back on now uh, and say nobody would do that. Well, America's doing it. And England, of course, 50 years later, was bankrupt. I mean, the IMF had to fly into London airport in 1976 to bail out Britain, which had been the number one country in the world only 50 years earlier. So yes, it can happen. Uh, everybody will suffer, but I would suspect that China will come out less bad than the rest of us because they do have more assets, reserves. They don't have as much, they have debt now, but they're not, nothing like Japan or the US or England or some of the other developed countries, if I can use that term. Um, that what you and I need to do is to figure out who is gonna come out the other side, number one. If I were asked today, I would say it would be China, uh, but who knows, lots of things can happen between now and 2031, just to pick a year. But as I, I don't see anybody else on the horizon that can be as 
less damaged and as successful as China probably would be. Maybe a Korea, but Korea, a united Korea, an open Korea, but uh, which is going to happen. But Korea only has 80 million people. And I don't really see Korea being the leading nation in the world uh, coming out the other side. All right, uh, great answer, fascinating. And, and I, I just got to ask, because it, it kind of caught me by surprise, because um, I'm not as much of a scholar of Asia as you are. Why are you so confident in a united Korea? And, and when do you think that might actually happen? Is that something you see happening in our lifetimes? Uh, much sooner than I, much sooner than our lifetime. Yes, it, I do expect it to happen in our lifetime. I didn't say united, I said open. You know, it, and, and that might lead to an, a united Korea. But if you open the 38th parallel, then and you can have a movement of capital and labor and everything else and goods, then Korea, a united Korea could be, it's 80 million people right on the Chinese border. You know, when North Korea has lots of natural resources, cheap, disciplined, educated labor. As recently as 1970, North Korea was richer than South Korea. Now, communism and the Kims can ruin a lot of things, and they ruin North Korea. But if you open it up, and I, I suspect it's going to happen in the foreseeable future, and when that happens, that's going to be perhaps the most exciting place in the world for 10 or 20 years. I'm not teaching my children Korean, but uh, it, it will be. If you open the 38th parallel and have a free movement of products, trade, money, people, it'll be a very exciting place. All right, and I'm sorry. And I do expect that to happen. What gives you optimism that it will? What, what, what's the incentive or the trigger there? What, what, why would Kim Jong-un release well, his trip? The, kid, the kid's not Korean. You know, he went to school in Switzerland. He, he, he's trying to make, had you rather live in North Korea or live in Switzerland? I know I the answer. I choose Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, well, so would he, but he can't, he can't leave because his father, I think his father put him in charge. He was not the oldest. I think he gave it to him because he knew he was, he could do more for, for Korea because he'd been, been abroad so long. Uh, he's got international ski resorts now, international marathons, bicycle races, uh, 15 free trade zones. I mean, the kid, the kid doesn't want to live in North Korea. He's doing his best to change it. Uh, one of the first things he tried to do was to sign a peace treaty with America. The Pentagon said, no, they said, we won't do it. They, they told uh, whatever the guy's name was, uh, I guess it was Obama, said, no, we will not do it. But the kid's been trying for a long time to change things. Um, now, he has, he, he has difficulties. But China's for it, Russia's for it, North Korea's for it, many people in South Korea are for it. Japan is against it. Japan knows they cannot compete with an open Korea. Japan's got many problems, uh, which we could discuss if you want. So they're against it. And, but the problem, of course, uh, Adam, is the American army. We've got 30,000 troops there, and it's the only place that the Pentagon can have troops on the Chinese border and the Russian border. And they don't want to leave. You know, they told Trump, we're not going to leave. You know, Trump was trying, even Trump was trying. But the American army has told Moon, President Moon, we're not going to leave. And, and they've told, I don't know what they've told uh, Biden, but they, they say we're not going to leave. Because strategically, if, if the army leaves Korea, where are they going to go? 
San Francisco. Well, that doesn't do much good if you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're worried, about, worried about the Russians and the Chinese. Uh, well, that, that is fascinating and uh, perhaps comes as no surprise, but that picture you painted of, of uh, the Korean leader, North Korean leader really contrasts sharply with the image that we get in the U.S. reading the U.S. press about him, um, but that's probably by design. Um, all right, Jim. Uh, just, just briefly, if yeah. I could, I have listened to American propaganda all my life. And I find not just American propaganda, Korean propaganda, all of them, you know, you, I have learned to take it all with a grain of salt because I know most of it is not accurate. Truth is usually very different from the headlines that were fed. Exactly. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Um, all right. So getting into the, and Jim, thank you so much for being so generous with your time here. I'll try to be respectful of it, but I do have a couple of questions. I know people are, are very hungry to hear your thoughts on if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, kind of bringing this down to the practical, right, of, okay, if these are the risks and concerns, you know, what can today's wealthy on viewers do to start, uh, uh, you know, taking some precautions either to not get destroyed um, by what's coming or to perhaps maybe even position to, to benefit a little bit from some of these trends. You mentioned at the beginning of the conversation that, um, commodities are about the only thing that you think are still, you know, perhaps not in the bubble right now. Um, we have seen a number of commodities uh, increase pretty substantially in price over the past year, you know, I think largely due to supply chain disruptions, um, but certainly with the inflationary pressure of, of all the stimulus that's been getting issued. Where do you think we are right now in the commodity cycle? Are we still in early innings? Is there still a lot of room to run here or what? We hope you've been enjoying this excellent discussion with veteran investor Jim Rogers. The interview continues over in part two, where Jim offers his advice to prudent investors looking to survive the coming bear market that he predicts. He also provides his outlooks on a number of different commodities, including oil, uranium, farmland, and precious metals. To watch part two, just click on the link provided in the description of this video below, or go to youtube.com slash Wealthion. Oh, but before you go, please don't forget to hit the like button and then click the subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it if you haven't already. It only takes a second and it really does help us out as the more subscribers this channel has, the more big name experts like Jim we can attract onto this program in the future. Oh, and if you'd appreciate a free, no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your portfolio with the risks that Jim has highlighted in mind, just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you over at part two of our video interview with the one and only Jim Rogers. Thank you.